Aloha, you're listening to Chat Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. My guest today is Sports Illustrated's Howard Beck. We are going to talk Scoot Henderson, perhaps the best 17-year-old basketball player in the world. Let's go. All right, and we're back. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need. And you can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. My guest is good friend Sports Illustrated's Howard Beck, who just wrote the most timely story on Scoot Henderson, the 17-year-old basketball prodigy uh, who is just blowing up for the G League Ignite right now. You can go read that story over at Sports Illustrated. Howard also has a great podcast, The Crossover. And I, w- I want to set this up, Howard, and then we're just going to sort of dive in because like, your timing couldn't have been more impeccable, right? Um, you go follow this kid for a while, and I, you know, I, I know these magazine stories take a while to put together and actually sort of get, get to publishing. And, and then this kid comes off the bench, And in the last three games, let's just check out what Scoot Henderson does. In his second game, 31 points, six rebounds, five assists, three steals, goes 10 for 15 from the field, and even lights up Jonathan Kaminga, a lottery pick in the 2021 draft. Then he follows it up two games against the Stockton Kings, 22 points, 10 rebounds, eight assists, 27 points, eight rebounds, four assists, four steals. This kid... The, those are those are huge numbers for anybody, let alone in the G League. We didn't really see Jalen Green or Jonathan Kaminga do that do that last year. We didn't really see Jaden Hardy doing it this year. You may just have tapped into the to the the best basketball prodigy in the world right now. And so let's just start with where did the idea from the story come, and you know how did this all sort of come together. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me, Chad. Appreciate you being or having me here, and appreciate you actually having uh, informed, helped inform my my scoot feature. Um, we talked a while back, of course, and I I, I did quote you in the story um, on newsstands. Now, by the way, it was online uh, a few weeks back. It is also in the print magazine. Very excited about that, so people can go find it there. I started working on this story back in the spring. I mean, it feels like forever ago. I guess it actually was forever ago. Um, I had uh, made contact with the family around the same time that they first made their announcement that Scoot Henderson was going to forego all these other possibilities, including more than a dozen big time division one programs that were chasing him, that he was going to forego opportunities abroad. He was turning down the overtime elite league. He was deciding to become the first 17 year old to make a two year commitment to the G League Ignite um, and spend two years with them. And they made that announcement essentially via the New York Times and my old buddy, Jonathan Abrams. Um, And that story, Jonathan did a great job and the, the family came through so strongly in that story. Like I immediately got a feel for like, wow, there's, there's more to this than just the kid is this is not just scoot henderson this is this big family six siblings and his parents so that's nine of them in marietta georgia you could tell right off the bat reading the story they're very tight-knit there was a certain just kind of a a, a vibe and a um i don't know this this uh this this family aspect to it where i was like this isn't just scoot henderson making this choice it's the henderson family as a whole and i just felt like there was a lot more there layers of 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 this story to to kind of peel back um so 
I, you know, I spoke to representatives of the family um, in the spring. I visited them for two straight days in Marietta, Georgia, um, spent some time in their home, spent some time at their family owned gym where Scoot has been working out and, and his, all of his siblings all work out as well. They all play basketball. And um, over the course of those two days, just got a really strong feel for the family, for Scoot and his childhood and how Scoot became Scoot um, and all of that. And then a week later, I went to the NBA finals and broke my shoulder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and things kind of got put on hold for a little while, but it was always going to kind of be this timing. I wanted to do two things. I wanted to see Scoot Henderson, 17-year-old, incredible prospect at home in Georgia with this really tight-knit, large family and what that atmosphere and that environment was about and how that shaped him and how that um, emboldened him, how that, that you know created this path for him. And then I wanted to contrast that with when he finally got to the Bay Area, 17-year-old, living effectively on his own for the first time as one of the youngest professionals ever in, you know, in the NBA's uh, ecosystem and to see what that looked like. And so that way I could contrast like his, his bustling environment at home with all these, this family members around um, to this, this lonely corporate apartment in Walnut Creek, California, you know, where, where he was, would start his career. So that's kind of the, 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 the outline of it all. And we were talking right before the show, um, the timing of this, originally you hoped it would sort of come out right at his debut, but because of some broken ribs, it didn't, it didn't quite, the timing didn't quite come the way that you thought it was going to come, but in some ways it's, it's even better. Yeah. So he gets a broken rib sometime during training camp. It actually, you know, it was, it was tough too, because it was kind of a moving target. The Ignite, um, had initially told the family to come out late August. And so I thought my second visit with them was going to be late August. And I was going to get some time to see him there, see him in full practices and everything else. The date kept moving and eventually it ended up being like mid to late September instead. And so it screwed me <laughs> deadline wise because I needed to get this story done in time for our November issue, which closes in early October. And what happened was I went out to Walnut Creek I did get to see Scoot in the Ignite's gym or the gym that they rent space from, but I did not get to see him scrimmage. They didn't have all the veterans there yet. It was, they didn't have every, they didn't have everybody period. So it was very informal. And so I was at the disadvantage of not really getting to see Scoot play. I got to see him run some, you know, some full court three on three, maybe four on four um, back home in Georgia when he was there. But, um, but yeah, we thought this story would come out right around the time that the Ignite played their first game and that Scoot would make his debut breaks a rib in their their training camp, delays his debut, but then comes out on fire, which, yes, uh, as a reporter, as a writer who just, you know, wrote this story that's kind of hyping up, you know, this this next basketball sensation, I'm more than happy to see him come right out of the gate and, uh, and validate it all, both for him and selfishly for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was, I was joking with Howard beforehand. I also had a big cover story for ESPN, the magazine, with Darko Milicic uh, on, on the cover, um, he didn't quite deliver the same way Scoot Henderson has delivered in the first few games. And that's always, you know, the risk when you write these stories and, and you know, you pick a phenom and a prospect is I wrote about Darko before seeing him play with the Detroit Pistons. Um, you wrote, write about Scoot in high school as a high school junior, and it's a big level up from senior, what would be a senior in high school to the G League. And, and and at least in my mind, I know you talked to a lot of scouts about this as well. 
this is this is not even just a jump to like Duke or Kentucky where you're playing primarily with other young people your age um, or what have you. Not not only is he the youngest player I think to ever play um, in the G League, but on many nights he's playing against 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 year olds, uh, all of whom were probably the best player on their college basketball team, uh, and and many of whom have experience playing in the NBA. That's that's a big leap as far as basketball goes. It's a big leap, and even more so because he skipped his senior year. And he was going to skip his senior year regardless. If he had gone to Auburn or uh, you know Georgia or wherever he was going to go, if he had gone to China, which he had an offer when he was uh, in the middle of his sophomore season in high school, wherever he went, he was going to skip his senior year. He doubled up his classes. He graduated with a 3.435 GPA. He's, he's really bright as well. And so he was going to physically take on this challenge regardless. And the interesting thing about that is when you look at him, first glance is you don't think that there's any real risk involved because physically he looks like a pro already. I mean, dude is built. And so not just like, obviously you watch him play a little bit, you watch him scrimmage or work out. You can see the explosiveness. You can see all, all that stuff, which sometimes hard to gauge unless you see him in an environment against real competition. Right. And, but you know, look, I, I saw him work out with his shirt off and you just look at him. I'm like, holy crap. He's built like an NBA player, his torso, his chest, his shoulders, his upper arms. He looks like he's already there. So um, whether that was just his training regimen or some of it just came naturally, he was ready for this Chad in a way that probably a lot of 17 year olds and maybe even 18 year olds are not. And so I think physically probably he, his family, his, his circle probably had no concerns about whether he could hold up Physically, I think the things that you always wonder about with kids at that age is, well, are they mature enough? Are they dedicated to the game enough? Are they skilled enough? Um, Level-headed, just all the other aspects of it, psychologically and mentally, um, emotionally ready. But that part of it was one of the first things that I could like check off as I'm, you know, of my curiosities as I'm talking to him and his family. Scoot is so just mature beyond his years. Like he's a little kid at heart in a lot of ways. Like he doesn't have his driver's license and doesn't care to, doesn't want to drive. He's, he's perfectly fine. Not driving. He loves playing video games and reading when he's not playing basketball. And otherwise all he cares about is basketball. But in terms of the way he carries himself and his uh, also just his dedication, right? Like how many 17 year olds are fully committed to anything other than maybe the video games and driving and, you know, girls and whatever. Uh, Scoot is solely committed to basketball. And in that regard, and I know like it's, I, I do not invoke this name lightly, but it's, it's Kobe like, and Kobe is one of his idols. Um, Kobe knew exactly what he wanted from an early age and was completely dedicated to it and consumed by it. Scoot strikes me as that maybe not to that level. And, and almost nobody I've ever met in this, in this game in 24 years is to that level. That's very, very few, but Scoot loves the game. And that's, that is his, 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 his sole focus. And I think because of that, that's what gives him a chance to succeed aside from the physical gifts and the talent that he clearly has his dedication and, and like complete commitment, I think is what gives him the chance to make this two league G league ignite, um, you know, saga work for him and become what, what, what we're all expecting, which is one of the top picks in the 2023 draft. You you do a good job of conveying it. That's the sense that I got from the story. And, 
you know, I told my editor, Royce Webb, who's always trying to get me to tamp things down. That's what he does. He's a longtime <laughs> editor at ESPN. Now he's with me at Subs uh, Substack as well. You know, everything for Royce is let's let's tamp it down. Uh, you know, and I told him, and now he's going to be mad at me because I'm I'm saying it on the podcast. He would never let me put this in print. The comparison that I had, and I'm not saying they're the same player. They're actually very different players, basketball players. But it, that the closest thing I could get from the sense of the maturity, who he was, plus the physical tools that are already there that you could put him in an NBA game realistically and say he has the physical tools right now to compete in the NBA in ways that like we worry about Chet Holmgren or you know other people you know not having those physical tools was LeBron James uh, and you know the two things in scouting LeBron in high school that I came away with was he's incredibly mature for his age like you feel like he's lied on his birth certificate about how old he actually is not just from his physical standpoint but how he approached everything how he was handling all the pressure all the hype everything else like that he he had this even keel to himself but then physically he looked like an NBA player at at 17 years old and and Scoot's one of the few people that I've encountered since then that has that that physical look. And then I, I, I haven't had the chance to meet him and I don't know him the way that, that you got to know him or his family. But that was the the sense that I got from your article um, reading. And, and those are a pretty potent combination, um, right? Because we know it takes both things to be a superstar in the NBA. It takes that physical talent. Uh, it takes the basketball talent, but it also takes this sort of approach and mentality and maturity to really sort of reach that level. Yeah. And I think again, you know, there's these interesting lessons we learn as reporters along the way when you cover the league. And so this is my 25th year, which is hard to believe. Um, and I started off covering Kobe in his his second year. And so I, I see a lot of things through the prism of like how I saw Kobe conduct himself, sometimes contrasted with how Shaq contra conducted himself because they were very different in the way they went about their day to day. But you you kind of start to learn these lessons along the way that are the same things that coaches and players and scouts and others learn about the NBA, which is everybody who makes it has some certain, you know, uh, you know, floor of talent, right? There's a certain minimum level just to get to the NBA. And these are the most talented 450 players on earth at any given time. But what separates the, you know, rotation guys from the high level starters, from the all-stars, from the superstars, from the MVP types is sometimes it's a little bit, it, it's a few degrees more of talent or or another inch of height or another couple inches of wingspan. But a lot of it is about the passion and dedication to the game. It really is. And that was the lesson of covering Kobe for me, or one of the great lessons of covering Kobe was, man, he, and I, I've written this, I've said this many times, he didn't jump as high as Vince Carter. He didn't have Vince's explosiveness. He didn't have Tracy McGrady's wingspan. He didn't have, he was said to have undersized hands for his, his height. So he couldn't palm the ball as easily for dunking. Kobe did not have the best fit. Like, it, you know, compared to normal people, Kobe had immense physical gifts. Compared to NBA players, especially at his position, Kobe did not have greater physical gifts than, than anybody else. But he outworked the hell out of everybody and was more dedicated than all of them and cared more than any of them. And that's not to say that the rest of them didn't or that they were slouches by any stretch. It's just that he had an extra 5, 10, 20% on top of it. And yeah, um, we won't know whether it's with Scoot or whether it's with the top guys in, in this 2022 class uh, or, or uh, the, the kid, I'm going to butcher, uh, Victor uh, Wembanyama. Wembanyama? Yep, you got it. <sighs> all right. Um, 
you know, all the intrigue of him, right? And that's that's going to be, you know, one of Scoot's rivals for the top pick there in 2023. We never really know until these guys get to the NBA, right? Um, but if I'm if I'm looking for the right outline, if I'm looking for the right makeup in, in this snapshot at this moment, yes, Scoot has all that. What he does with it when he gets there and, you know, look, where he lands, how great their development is who he's playing with, all the context of, of the team you land with, all those things have a great influence on your career trajectory as well, right? So there's so many things we don't know. Injuries, you know, knock on wood. Um, but the tools, the physical elements, the dedication to the game, I think the mentality, I think it's all there. And the comparisons, I, I you know, a couple of them are in the story. You know, the most common comparisons for people who knew his game well, they kept uh, referring to either Russell Westbrook or, you know, obviously pre-ACL Derrick Rose um, because of the explosiveness and certain, I think, physical uh, similarities, um, but with a jump shot. Like Chuck Person, who, who was, was training uh, Scoot for the last year and a half or so, Chuck was like saying, Russell Westbrook, but with range, but with a real jump shot. And we're seeing some of that starting to, to come out, right? Like that, I think, was one of the concerns that, that you guys, you know, you and other scouts, you know, people who, who, who are, who are uh, either scouts or draft experts had had kind of um, honed in on early is that, well, is, is the jump shot going to come around? Um, looking like it's so and um, you know, the, the rest is, is you know, a, a little bit up to fate and, you know, circumstance. But it's it's all there. When Jalen Brown told me he's the most talented 17-year-old I've ever seen, like that was the one that hit me, the the the, the like struck me. Like, cause you expect people who who know Scoot personally and professionally are going to speak highly of him. That's how these things go when you're reporting a feature story. It's very rare somebody's going to tell you, you know, eh, actually the this guy's kind of lazy, or eh, I don't think this guy's jump shot's ever gonna come around. It's broken. Like you're not expecting that. You do expect more positive than negative, but you're not asking for the hyperbole. And when it, and when it comes that organically and from somebody like Jalen Brown, who's a pretty, I think grounded level-headed player himself who has built himself into an all-star in the NBA um, or all-star caliber player. Like I don't take that lightly. Like Jalen just, we, we only talked for like six, seven minutes. We didn't have much time. He spit that out right off the top. And that, that blew me away. That said like, okay, this is Scoot is special when Jalen Brown is going to, to that extent. All right, I want to actually keep up on this thread about what others are saying. I know you talk to people like me. I know you talk to NBA scouts. I know you talk to players and what have you. Um, we're going to take a quick break and talk about uh, one of our new sponsors, Truebill. Uh, do you know that why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your sub subscriptions. Truebill is the new app. It helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simplify. So you simply have just forgotten about. On average, people save about $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Don't fall for subscri subscription scams. That's a tough one to say. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Go right now, truebill.com slash locked on NBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA.
All right, and I'm back with Sports Illustrated's Howard Beck. We're talking and talking very highly of Scoot Henderson. It was really cool. I just wrote a story over on my website, nbabigboard.com, and my newsletter on Tuesday about him and got a tweet back from his mom. Uh, so that that was really cool. And, you know, it is sort of one of the things that I don't think sort of people realize. Families follow uh, the stuff that we're talking about in the draft. They're very interested uh, every year I get lots of subscribers on my newsletter that are parents or the actual players themselves. And so it's always sort of difficult when I have something negative to say uh, about a prospect. But it, but in this case, I had a lot of positive things to say um, about him, including whether he would have been in this draft right now. I actually, in talking to a number of general managers and scouts, think that after these three games that he's been really heavily scouted, uh, by teams that he would be the number one pick in this draft over Chet Holmgren, over Paolo Banquero. And, and I will divulge because Howard called me several months ago and we had a conversation together that that's not what I said to Howard Beck uh, at, at the time. I saw him as, I can't remember, but like something like a top five guy. Is yeah, that, I think so. Is that sort of right? Yeah, and I think, you know, Wimbanyama was, was, the, was the, the guy that you said was, no, he's the absolute positive, you know, yep. lock for number one in lock. 2023. Um, and uh, and then and then Scoot kind of a top five guy, but I I wasn't even thinking about 2022 where he's ineligible. And for our listeners who are wondering why, uh, you need to be 19 by December 31st of 2022 to be eligible for the 2022 draft, and he misses it by about what about three weeks? Yeah, I can't remember offhand when his birthday is, but, but or no, yeah. I actually think it's in February. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he's he's, yeah, he's he's missing it by about a month. Yeah, so he, he's and, and, yeah. And, He's not eligible, in other words. So, you know, we're talking a little bit now about something that, that can't happen unless the rules change. And I'm I'm pessimistic, and I don't know how you are about whether those rules are going to change. Every year I have agents and families telling me we're going to change the rules this year and get these 18-year-olds uh, into the draft. But I, I, don't, I don't really see that happening before the 2022 NBA draft. Right, Howard? No, and probably not before – not that this would matter in Stewart's case, but probably not before 2023 either. I'm, I'm – you know, it's funny because um, discussions about the age limit and the fact that both the NBA and the Players Association, you know, because they collectively bargained, you know, one thing that people always forget about, the NBA didn't just create the, the age limit or impose the age limit. It was collectively bargained with the Players Association back in 2005, went into effect in 2006. So to undo it, it also has to be collectively bargained. And they have not been able to. They were going to do that separately outside of the normal CBA discussions because the CBA is not up quite yet. So they start those discussions a few years ago with everybody saying, oh, it's automatic. We'll start planning for this draft or that draft because there's going to be like a double draft because there's all the teenage influx. No, hasn't happened. Still hasn't happened. Still not on the horizon. Still no indication it's, it's going to happen anytime soon uh, because like everything else, it has to be bargained. And so that means that each side is trying to get something out of the other and it's gone nowhere. So in the meantime, it's it's great that the Ignite exists, that OTE has uh, been created, uh, the Overtime Elite League. Um, the PCL, the uh, Professional Collegiate League, is supposed to launch this coming summer. So it's, it's great that there are these other avenues, that as long as the age limit still does exist, there are these other avenues for guys who want to turn pro immediately. And yeah, you can go to college and now you can at least cash in on, on NIL, but it's it's not the same as being able to be all basketball all the time professionally and being paid specifically for your basketball talent. And um, 
so yeah, we'll see. And then, you know, it's one of the curiosities I have about the future is, okay, if the, if they snap their fingers and the age limit does go away, where does that leave the ignite and OTE and PCL and all these other things? I don't know. I think there might still be, uh, you know, a, a need and a demand for them, but it, it will certainly change. Let's 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 tease that out a little bit because I think that was another part of your article, right? Is that the landscape has changed uh, pretty dramatically in the last couple of years? Uh, you know, for a while, high schoolers could play in the NBA. When that got cut off, uh, you had people like Brandon Jennings who decided to go over to Italy. Uh, and and start their professional career there. But that's rarely a good choice for most American players because international teams aren't really willing to develop young players just to send them back to the the NBA. They're they're about winning now, not developing for some other league. And this has been a problem in in scouting European players as well at times. You know, Yannick Zosa, who's really one of the top prospects in this draft, is just really not getting minutes because they brought in a veteran American center uh, because they wanted to win more basketball games this year. And so scouts are frustrated right now because we're not seeing Zosa really doing what we would hope that he would do because that's not their job. You have the NBL, the National Basketball League in Australia, that's that's actually tried to put to, together a model. And RJ Hampton, LaMelo Ball went over there. Um, they've tried some, you know, tried some things. I, I think RJ Hampton, his family felt like that was a disaster. Uh, for LaMelo Ball, it didn't. I, I actually do think it kept him from being the number one pick in the draft. I think just even that experience dropped him uh, from one to three. And, and you know, you're still seeing people experimenting um, with that as well. And now you've got the G League Ignite that really jumped off the board last year. And it worked out well for Jalen Green. It worked out well for Jonathan Kaminga. Not so much for Dyson Nix, uh, who was considered, you know, a top 10, 20 recruit coming out of out of high school, was scheduled to play at UCLA, goes in and um, doesn't get that that hype the, the same way. And and now you have Overtime Elite, like you said, uh, as well, which is a new model with actually sort of younger players. And Gene Montero is the sort of big draft prospect over there right now. And scouts seem frustrated with Overtime Elite because how do you judge Gene when he's playing against, you know, high school juniors and sophomores and, you know, in a couple of cases, freshmen uh, and and so you have all these different models now and all these different opportunities. But I, I think you see it, and, and I think I do as well, as, as a good thing, right? There's lots of opportunities for these prospects to find different ways to develop depending on who you are. Yeah, I mean, look, there's this basic principle. Like if I, if, if I wanted to play devil's advocate and, and defend the NBA's age limit, I can, right? There is a case for the age limit from a strictly business and basketball standpoint that I could, in the abstract, defend. Does it have some moral hazards that are intrinsic to it? Yes. Is it fair to uh, incredibly talented uh, teenage basketball players who could turn pro if, if and go straight to the NBA and get paid for it, if not for the age limit? Yes, all that's true also. But I understand why the NBA went that direction when they did. So my feeling is this. As long as it exists, and for the moment it still does, there needs to be a path for incredibly talented, motivated, professionally ready young players who are not draft eligible, who are not 19 years old and a year removed from high school, which is the way the NBA drew up the rule. Um, you shouldn't have to go to college if that's not your path. You should be able to profit immediately off of your talent if there's somebody who can uh, find the, you know, give you the platform for it. So now these kids who are in that stage, who are 17, 18 years old, 
and can't go straight to the NBA, they now have multiple options, which is how it should have always been, frankly. Um, I sometimes wonder why it took this long for us to get to this point, Chad. Like why, you know, the NBA should have created this long ago. Like whether the OTE and, and PCL and others outside of the NBA's uh, purview could have done this sooner, I don't know. The NBA always could have. It's just taken the, the NBA a very long time to go from, you know, a handful of teams and what was then the NBDL and then it was the D League and now the G League and, and to, to get to this many teams and then to create the Ignite specifically for players who were not draft eligible. It's just taken a very long time to get to this point, but it's the right thing. It is the, and it's the right construct. And um, I, I, you know, I, I would like to say that, that somebody else is doing it better. Cause I don't like, uh, you know, immediately sounding like the, you know, we, I feel like I sound like an NBA shill when I say the G league is the best version of this, but it is um, partially because it's run by the NBA, but, but mostly because of this. And this is why Scoot picked it. And I think why Scoot and his family were correct to pick this route. The G league is giving him all of the development tools, right? Uh, you know, Jason Hart is the coach. Jason Hart spent 10 years in the NBA, spent several years coaching in college. He knows the NBA. He knows player development. He knows those those stages. Um, and so they've got a professional staff. They are backed by the NBA. They've got a, a program that is developing these guys, not just on the court, but there's life skills attached to this. There is a scholarship attached to, to uh, for a free education. I think it's at the University of Arizona. So he's taking classes over Zoom. So there's a support system built in and then an acknowledgement in all of those things that when there was no age limit, those guys were kind of thrown to the wolves, sometimes thrown to the Timberwolves, which is almost worse. Um, <laughs> so if you made that leap in the prep to pro era, you were doing it with no support. The NBA and their teams, they didn't have development coaches back then, Chad. They, 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 they had like three guys on a coaching staff. They didn't have all of these other tools and personnel to help the transition physically, emotionally, and in life skills. Now they're prepared for it. And now, by the way, if the age limit does go away, I think the NBA is better prepared to deal with all of those things and provide the support that these kids need. They really, truly were just thrown to the wolves. So if you were 17 and entering the NBA and you're playing against grown men, and you're, you know, in an environment where like, all right, these guys are all going out to clubs afterwards. You're not even of age yet. Um, there's all the financial pressures and people coming to you for money and all these things that you have to deal with as an NBA player that a 17 and 18 year old might not be built for. The NBA has done a much better job in preparing guys overall. And with the G League Ignite and the program that they have attached to that, I think that when Kuminga, you know, comes out of it and Jalen Green comes out of it and when Scoot with with a two-year um, stay there, comes out of it, he will land in the NBA much better prepared, not just as a basketball player, but as a young professional and somebody who is obviously going to be very wealthy from the moment he gets drafted to handle all of it. The, the basketball side, the uh, financial side, um, the expectations, the lifestyle, the demands, everything. And so you know, because the G League is under the NBA's, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're, it's in their ecosystem, there's that many more resources available, I think, to prepare these guys. And on top of it, as you mentioned, the kids playing in OTE are playing mostly against other kids. And, you know, he, Scoot's on a team where half the roster is the other guys like him, although most of them are obviously a year older than him. The other half of that roster is veterans. 
guys who have played in the NBA, guys who have played elsewhere. And so they, those guys serve as kind of mentors too. And the, uh, the NBA, when they are looking for players to put on the G League Ignite as the veterans, are looking specifically for guys who have the right character and personality to serve not just as teammates, but as mentors for the young guys. So again, all of that is to the benefit of guys like Scoot. And you just can't find that elsewhere. And then on top of it, the last piece, of course, is when the Ignite is playing other G League teams, those are teams that are all, of course, rosters populated entirely with young and mid-career pros. So there's just a lot of advantages that are baked in. You know that uh, uh, Mara Rudolph is going to uh, take this clip and, and use this <laughs> in the recruiting the, the recruiting and PR tool for, for the G League. But you and I are aligned on this. Um, I, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, and from an NBA scouting standpoint as well, yes, Jalen Green, it's been a you know, it's been disappointing a little bit at what Jalen Green's done with Houston and whatever. I think people saw that. But for most part, they're running NBA sets. They're with NBA players. These are NBA coaches. Um, they're getting NBA training. They're, they're, there's bad habits that can get developed in college because college basketball is different than NBA basketball that are being avoided. Most of the scouts that I spoke to, even though they were scouting in the bubble last year, um, felt like this was easier. This was more of an apples to apples comparison than than doing a college basketball player, let alone you know sort of going overseas. But let me give you the one argument sort of back. Um, and and I, I don't think this matters so much for the development, but it does matter for a savvy business person like Scoot Henderson who who clearly has a marketing plan as well, and it matters. On the same night that he goes for goes off for thirty one points, the entire basketball world is in Las Vegas watching Chet Holmgren and Paolo Banquero go after um, each other, Duke v. Gonzaga. Dickie V is back behind the mic. Uh, there is so many more people, including all the lead decision makers, frankly, for the NBA, that were tuned into that game as opposed to what's happening with with, with Scoot right now. Now, it's kind of cool that you know after you know, I started writing about it and a couple of people started writing about it. It's kind of been the last 24 hours. There's been a lot of Scoot Henderson stuff on, on NBA Twitter and, and what have you. But that part, he's never going to be able to market himself quite the way that ESPN can market you and Dick Vitale can and playing for Duke or North Carolina or Kansas or uh, Gonzaga does. It, is, is that going to be the one sort of fatal flaw of the G League is this that average basketball fans aren't tuning in to watch these G League games. Um, they don't get quite the attention from the lead decision makers either. And so building your brand, which matters for a lot of these basketball players, is a harder thing to do in the G League than it is playing for Duke. Yeah, and I think that that is, um, I, I don't know if that's a surmountable obstacle, at least in the short term. I think, again, let's, uh, presuppose that the age limit stays in place in perpetuity, right? This is this is the reality. The age limit will always be there, but the G League Ignite will always be there, some version of, of that. And so now five years down the road, 10 years down the road, as this program has had that much more time to kind of, you know, uh, integrate itself or into the, the basketball scouting ecosystem and fans have had a chance to get a better feel for what the Ignite is, and that, oh, you know what? Yeah, that, that Duke and Zaga game is on. But you know what? I've heard of this, this, this guy, Scoot Henderson, playing for the Ignite. And in, in, a, in a different version of this conversation, five years from now, maybe fans are that much more familiar with 
that that avenue and those games and know where to find them <laughs> and and know the names and if you're really somebody who watches especially for people who watch college basketball strictly to see the top draft prospects which i think is probably a, a decent you know size of the audience then they'll know they don't know now because the ignite is still so new it's not part of 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 the discussion and it's it's a little bit outside of um of, of all of that but you know, the flip side. So you're you're right, Chad. Like, so if you're if you're the family of a of a hot uh, young prospect who wants to market themselves immediately, build their brand, and reach the NBA with that name already established and companies already chasing you, maybe you put yourself a little bit further back. Although I think Christian Dawkins, whose agency is representing Scoot, would would argue otherwise. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff in the works. I didn't get into all that in the story. There wasn't room for it. But they've got plenty of endorsement opportunities, commercial opportunities already coming. And I think, by the way, you know, we'll see this in the weeks to come. Again, this is all very new. So you and my colleague, Jeremy Wu, and other draft experts all buzzing about Scoot right now. So there's a moment happening. And if this continues, if, if his performances continue to break out like this, and you guys are all talking about him and writing about him, next thing you know, you know, ESPN and, and everybody else are going to be, you know, are going to be traveling to Walnut Creek to go do more stories. The buzz will will generate, I think, some of that 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 brand glow that you're looking for. But I will say there's one last thing on this. Um, not that it's not important to him or his family, but I think it's really low on the list of things that are important to Scoot and why he made this decision. If he wanted to have that platform, the national TV games right off the bat, and Dickie Vitale sitting courtside and 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 bubbling effusively about him, he could have done that. He chose not to. And I think, you know, look, that kind of speaks to his value system as a young basketball player. He's not so much worried about, and he said this, when we sat down in, in Marietta back in, in, um, in late June, early July, I asked him about other guys in his draft class or his, you know, the, the scouting class and everything else. And he was like, I don't even, he didn't know where he ranked. He didn't care. And I think that all speaks really well. He's not concerned with the spotlight and the buzz and the hype. Um, I'm sure he appreciates it all, I would imagine, but he he wanted to be where he could best learn to be an NBA player and prepare to become an NBA player. And that was it. And so I, I think you know that can be a detriment if if you're looking for the platform and the spotlight. But um if you're somebody who just cares about the basketball, as as I think Scoot Henderson does, uh, you know, being a little bit off the radar is 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 not a negative. Um, he's gaining plenty in, in the meantime. And, and I think, frankly, especially by the time he's in year two with the Ignite, like the people are going to know who he is and, and everything that comes behind it. All right. Well, most of our listeners actually don't even care about all that right now. They just want to know who this guy's going to be. So I'm gonna, uh, we're going to do one more break and I'm going to come back and ask you, what, what were some of the other scouting tips that you heard? You told us about Jalen Brown that you heard um, putting this article together, because again, I think for the hardcore draft fans that listen to this podcast, they really want to know who this guy's going to be. So let's start with Built Bar. Uh, it wouldn't be a big board podcast without Built Bar. So many delicious flavors. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. 
Don't know the Built Bar flavors? You're missing out. There's coconut, cherry, barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, cho- double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. My personal favorite is the is the coconut. It tastes like a Mounds bar. It's chewy. It's delicious. It tastes like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy too. Most of the flavors have 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories are ranging from 130 to 180 calories, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Order today and get your grasshopper cookie or raspberry, whatever you like. Built Bar is also the official protein bar. The U.S. track and field team, go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, he's Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated, big story out about Scoot Henderson, Blue, blows up the last three games. Let's talk about, you You, you started with the Jalen Brown anecdote, which is in your story, the best 17-year-old that, you, that you've ever seen. What were some of the other things as you went around and talked to draft experts, NBA scouts, general managers, other players, what were some of the things that you heard about Scoot Henderson? So I didn't spend a ton of time um, talking to a lot of NBA people because most of them hadn't seen much of him yet anyway. And, and, you know, again, a lot of this reporting was done long before he even got to Walnut Creek to start working out with the Ignite. So um, and I don't think a lot of people were in those uh, gyms to watch him as a sophomore and junior in Marietta. Um, At least not legally. I don't think they're supposed to be in there. (laughs) so it, it's it, I was relying much more on those who had been around him, um, mostly in Georgia. And so you know Chuck Person, who had worked out with you, know, who had been uh, working him out, and and Chuck's got his own you know uh, you know basketball camps and training program that he does down there. Um, and you know guys like Jalen Brown, who has scrimmaged with him and against him. Um, what you hear from everybody is so some combination of of these elements, right? Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose type explosiveness, and you know a ball handler who can get anywhere on the court to uh, to get his shot or to get to his shot, and can beat anybody off the dribble to get to the rack. We've seen that already um, in some of his early G League games. Um, the the jump shot, depending on who you talk to, it, you know it's it's either work in progress and improving, or if you talk to Chuck Person, who of course uh, Chuck's the rifleman, he was you know uh, one of the all time shooters himself during his era. Chuck Chuck is like saying, listen, it's there. Um, and Chuck was was actually you know having him work out um, you know in terms of his his routine and and his range, he's having him shoot logo shots. He's having him shoot thirty foot shots. He's his feeling was. I don't want him, to, you know, obviously they're working on the te- technical aspects of his, his jump shot, but he also wanted him to have the range that is now, I don't want to say required, you know, in today's NBA, but it is becoming more and more of a staple of today's NBA that, um, you know, if, if you've got the ball in your hands and you're, you know, uh, you know especially you know, a lead guard, three-point shooter, um, defenses are going to play you a certain way. If, if you can make them uh, pay for, for, you know, from 30 feet, do it. And and Chuck says he can make that shot consistently. That's in practice, of course. And everybody who works out individually, we see those videos every summer on Instagram from trainers saying, look at how great my guy is. It's different when you're in live action with defenders and everything else. 
But oh yeah, I have some really great Ben Simmons knocking down three <laughs> video from his pre-draft workout out in Cleveland. So uh, yeah, yeah, and and there's been several more versions of that since then, and it still hasn't resulted in anything. Um, but you know, look, Scoot certainly has the the you know, the body strength to and the you know the lift to be able to get those shots uh, consistently. Um, the other thing that Chuck told me, Chuck Burson told me, was that Scoot can from half court on one dribble, get to the hoop. That when he's going a whole full head of steam, it's basically cross midcourt, one dribble, step, step, gather, and he's 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 up with it. Um it's like yeah, Giannis. Yes. Um, but he's but Giannis is uh six ten. Right. Um right. And with you know, like I don't know, know what their wingspan comparison is, but I'm gonna assume that Giannis has a few extra inches on the wingspan too. But but yes, Giannis esque in, in that uh, ability. Um you know, we're still seeing the the you know, the, the the early um, results here in terms of the balance. I'm always curious about if a guy comes into the league who has incredible ability to beat everybody off the dribble and get wherever they want to go. Okay, great, but there's a team around you. How are you going to 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 find that balance? The all the early anecdotal stuff I heard on him from his high school days, and just even in scrimmaging, he's pretty selfless. I saw this even like in in his gym, his family's gym in, in Marietta, like. He's not calling his own shot every time. He's not just all about like, well, I'm the guy who's looking to be a top pick or the top pick potentially in a couple of years. So I've got to do everything for me. Like he's perfectly fine to give up the rock um, and involve his teammates. And I think that's a really important element of this too. And and I think it's something that NBA teams will will surely focus on as, as his draft gets closer is, you know, you, you do want a guy who has a good head on his shoulders and, and uh, has the court vision and the balance and kind of the right value system as a basketball player where, okay, this is great. You can do a lot. And, you know, maybe you can be one of these, these you know, heliocentric, as, as our friend Seth Partner likes to call them, players who, you know, have a 35 usage rate and do everything. You're either shooting or you're passing for, to the guy who's taking the shot on every possession. I don't think that's what Scoot's going to be. Um, and of course that'll, again, depend on context where he lands, what the team is like, but he certainly, I think has a good hand on his shoulders on that side of it too, that he is looking to mix it up and has good passing skills and has good vision. And you can see even some of the highlights that were, were posted, um, you know, that the G league, I think put out, uh, there was one of those where you could just see he, he, like, he saw the play before the play happened and made the right pass. So, um, I, I think all of that bodes well. Defensively, it's so early. I don't even know how you 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 judge that or whether anybody cares to judge that right now. I think for a lot of high prospects, that's something that you you know you figure out once they get to the league anyway and and, and see how how uh, their instincts and their dedication to it are. All right, I'm gonna follow that up with uh, an NBA scout that I really trust that I've used for over a decade that is no no scout is perfect, but if there's somebody that's on and I trust him, and I'll start with his quote, Benchero and Chet are really good, but if everyone were eligible for this year's draft, Scoot and Francis Victor Wimbanyama would be the top two picks in the draft. I don't think it would be close. Those guys have future MVP talent. I don't really see that from anyone else in this draft class. Here's a GM that I really trust. If you could rate all the best prospects in the world right now, not playing in the NBA, for me, it would be Scoot number one and Wimbanyama number two. There's a big gap between those two and the rest of the field. But I'm going to give the ultimate shout out to Royce Webb, my editor, 
who tamps down every prospect and really like furrowed his brow at me when I told him, hey, I'm going to write about Scoot Henderson. He's like, why are you writing about the 2023 draft? It's too early. Don't blow this guy, guy up. Royce afterwards watches the videos and he texts me and says, and this is the ultimate compliment from a guy that has no hyperbole in his vocabulary. Scoot does look unreal. <laughs> um, that was the that was the text from Royce Webb. Scoot does look unreal. That's high praise uh, for Scoot Henderson. Well, it's going to be exciting to watch him and what he does. Now that now the hype's there, the pressure is also going to come in a big way. Howard, really appreciate you taking out an, an hour of your time to talk to us about about Scoot. Uh, for all of our listeners, uh, make sure you go over check out the the article. You can get it in print now uh, over at si.com on Scoot Henderson as well. Make sure you check out his podcast, The Crossover, and of course, uh, make sure you come over and check us out at nbabigboard.com. Thanks so much for being on the show, Howard. Thanks for having me, Chad. Enjoyed it. Okay, you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.